Today is Reformation Sunday, uh, actual Reformation Day is October 31st, it's this coming Wednesday. And we celebrate that day, we tend to look back to 1517 and we look at that day and we think of a Reformation in the church that happened that day, but sometimes we forget that it's happened before. See, God has continually reformed his church from time and time again, from age to age, And it needs it. It needs it fairly often. Because remember, even in the Garden of Eden, God was there with Adam and Eve. And their eyes were fully focused on God. He walked with them in the cool of the garden. He, He was there with them through every moment of every day as everything ran according to his perfect will in that perfect place at that perfect time. But then as we know, the fall came, maybe day eight, (laughs) not too long after everything got going, right? And all of a sudden, the eyes weren't focused fully on God anymore. And those eyes became focused inward, became focused on self, became focused on how I could take care of things, became focused on how I could do things in God's place, became focused on ways in which I could do something maybe in a better way than I think God would do it. Something needed to be reformed. God stepped in, right? God stepped in there, but sin at this point has corrupted everything so fully that it remains. It remains as something that corrupts that creation, yet God put a promise out there, a gracious promise, a gift of a promise. So creation continued corrupted by sin, and to a point where God said it needs to be reformed again. And then we hear the story of Noah. Church brought down to just a handful of people, right? Things are washed clean. There's a, a new start, a fresh start that can happen at this point. Eyes fully focused on God once again as they're in the boat, trusting fully upon his guidance and his mercy and his grace as he goes to restore life and bring life once again. And after that time goes, we see that things are good for a little while, yet then again, and not too short a time, eyes are focused back in, focused on the self, focused on what we can do, focused on how we can grow, focused on a way that we can work and take care of things, focused on our own righteousness as we work at every step of every way to say, God, look at what I have done so that I could earn your mercy. And those eyes get pulled off of God and they get pulled back on to self. And it's easy sometimes to think of that and say, well, maybe that's just for those that are outside the church. Maybe that's just for those that haven't heard God's word. Look at who Paul's talking to in Romans. He is talking to the Gentiles that are in Rome, but he's also talking to Jews that are around. When When he starts using language like that all mouths would be stopped, All is not all of a particular group. All is all. All of those who have 
Eyes are not focused fully on God. Eyes that are looking at what they can do. Eyes that are looking to the law and saying, look, within this law, here's what I need to take care of. Here's what I can do. Here are the pieces that I can put into play. Here are all the things that I can do, God, to make you see that I'm your child. But that law is perfect and righteous. Because God is perfect and righteous. And though that law is there for our benefit, when we look at how we stand up against that law, we see where we fall short. We see that the righteousness that we bring is nowhere near the righteousness that's needed. And so we stand before God and he says, look, you've done a lot and it's not enough. It's not enough because of the sin that corrupts things. It's not enough because you can't do enough. And even if you thought you could do enough, how would you know when enough was enough? Have you ever thought of that? If you're working to do everything you can against a law that's perfect, how do you know that you've done enough? And that enough is beyond what we're capable of doing when our eyes are not focused upon God. Because when our eyes are focused upon ourselves, we miss what God gives. So Paul starts talking about justice, right? And we want justice. We see things that are unjust. We see things that go on in the world, and we want that justice to come into play. But a lot of times we want that justice outside of who we are. We don't necessarily want to think about God's justice for an unrighteous, sinful person as we stand before God. We want to show God that we're maybe righteous enough, but all those people out there, I don't know, God, maybe you need to do something with them. So it's hard to look at that justice with clear eyes because when we look at that justice with clear eyes, we see the fact that we are just as sinful. So we hear of a justice that we maybe don't want, but that's definitely in play, and we hear of a righteousness that we want to attain, but we can't, and we continue to fall short. We continue to take our eyes off of God's word. And even though the law and the prophets, so the Old Testament and everybody that went before was pointing forward to Christ, pointing forward to the gracious promise that God gave to Adam and Eve, pointing forward to the love that he was going to show to take care of everything, our eyes continually got pulled inward. So we hear of that righteousness to come, and Paul speaks of that righteousness and then that justice, right? And he says something has to be done because God is just. Just as much as God is love, and God is mercy, God is just. Something has to be done. Something has to be done to fulfill that righteousness. Something has to be done so that he can have his creation back. Because if God was not just, then he could just tear up the debt that was there and just tear it up and say, never mind, it doesn't matter. But that wouldn't be just. If something's going to be just, then something has to be paid. Some consequence has to happen for an action that has crossed a righteous and holy God. So we hear of mercy. And mercy is a beautiful word, right? Not getting what you deserve. 
Very simple way that we explain mercy, not getting what we deserve. That would have been just tearing up the debt. We deserve to pay for the debt, and a very merciful act would say, well, you're not going to get the death you deserve because of that debt. And that sounds good. But like any infomercial, if you were to hear that, but wait, there's more. There's more than just not getting what we deserve. See, in grace, we get something we don't deserve. And that's amazing. That's where we see the beauty of God. When we get something we don't deserve, what we deserve from sin and what we deserve from looking inwards on ourselves, what we deserve from taking our eyes off of God, what we deserve in that sin is death and separation from God, and God says, no. No. I'm not going to let that happen. He says, I'm going to give grace. The righteousness is still needed. The sacrifice is still needed, but I'm going to take that weight off of your shoulders. I'm going to take that weight off of your shoulders by sending my son so that not only will I be just, but I'll be the justifier as well. I'll be the one that takes care of the issue for you. God says, that's my job. I love you, and I'm going to take your eyes off of yourself, and I'm going to give you one focal point to point them towards, one focal point for you to look at, one thing to look at where you can see where I am just, where I am the justifier, where I am righteous, where I am holy, where I am merciful, and where I am gracious. And we want that to happen in some sort of way that makes sense to us where a sacrifice doesn't have to happen. And we want that to happen in some sort of way we can wrap our head around, but it doesn't happen the way we want to. The only way that that happens is Christ on a cross. So as all of the Old Testament writers and all of the prophets point forward to one that's going to be the payment for our sins, as one who's going to take care of our sins, as one who's going to fulfill the promises of God. And as we look backwards at a particular point in time, we look back to Christ in a full reformation of the church. A very exact moment where we can look and say, look where God is present, not just in our lives and not just in heaven and not just in word, but in flesh as he hangs in our place. Because what we deserve is to be on that cross. And sometimes we try and crawl back up onto that cross and we say, let me do just a little bit, God. Let me do just something so that I can have some control of something. And he says, no, my son hangs there for you. My son is there for you so that the weight of the sins which you commit are buried with him. So as he is there as holy and innocent and righteous, it's all that we can do to take our eyes off of ourselves and look at that because it is such an amazing gift of grace. A moment, those few hours where the son of God is separated from his father for us, as he hangs there in our place to take our sin upon his shoulders, to take that weight upon his shoulders, to take our death upon his shoulders and hold them there out of love. That is grace. There's a great line that Luther has as he reflects on the law and as he reflects on grace. He says, the law is a word that says, do this. 
and it's never done because there's always more of something to do. There's always another level to hit. There's always something that's get, that gets missed. He says grace. Grace is a word that says believe this, and it's all been done for you. See, that grace is something that's a free gift. There's no strings attached to it at all. God says, I'll claim you as my child, and I will pour my word over you. And you're mine. And you're mine because of the work and the life and the death and the resurrection of my son. And his righteousness, that will be poured over you. So by grace alone, we're saved. Through faith in Christ. And it's not just an act of believing, an act of a faith that we do to believe that what Christ did was true, but it's a faith that's planted in our hearts in baptism. And it's Christ's faith and righteousness that is imparted to us, that's given to us, that is just poured on us. And God says, now you're my child. Not by what you do, but by what I've done for you. It's that grace that is beautiful. It's that grace that's wonderful. And where we would want to say that maybe just mercy and grace triumph over anything else that has to happen, it's because of everything else that did happen that God is gracious to us. And by that I mean the law had to be fulfilled. God didn't hand over the law to us to say, fulfill this and you can be righteous. He said, here's my son. And because my son was righteous, I give that to you as a gift. And so we live in that grace. We live in that good news. We live in that gospel knowing that God has loved us. And we see that because he sent his son to die for us. And not just die for us, but live again and hand us that life. So God is gracious, and God is merciful, and God is just. And it's wonderful to be able to look back at one moment in time and see where all of that happens. As we point back to Jesus. Two other images for you. There's an image that's used from time to time, and I should have put it on the screens. <laughs> I wasn't that organized this week. Uh, but there's a great painting of Luther and Christ and preaching. And it has Luther in a pulpit standing on one side, has Christ on the cross in the middle, it has a whole congregation over on the other side looking at Christ. And you see Luther with a book in hand, with words in hand, and all he's doing with a closed mouth is pointing. And that's it. His mouth isn't open, he's not saying anything, he just has word open and with closed lips pointing at Christ. Because as Christ is there in the midst of everything that's going on, as we look at Christ in history, as we look at God walking into history in flesh, we see that that's the moment where God reforms his creation to a point and says, this is mine now. Here's my point. Here's where it all goes down. Here's where it is, and I hand it over as a gracious gift. The other words that stick in my mind from Luther are at his death. 
And as he was sick in his early 60s, he's laying on his deathbed and somebody says, do you, do you believe that everything that you have taught through these years is true? And with as loud a voice as he could muster, he says, yes! And then he died shortly after that. In his pocket, was a little tiny piece of paper. And on that little tiny piece of paper, all it said was, we are beggars. This is true. We're beggars. We come before God saying, God, I've got empty hands. I've got sins. Not just empty hands, but I'm handing you a whole load of stuff. And here it is. But I got nothing good to offer because even my good stuff is corrupted by sin. And even that good stuff you got to take care of. And that's all I got. He says, you know what I have for you? I have love and I have grace and I have mercy and I have gifts beyond contemplation. I have gifts beyond imagining. Gifts that I am going to give over to you because of the love that I have for you through my son Christ. Through my son Jesus who died and rose for you. Through him, you get everything. And the only place you find that is Christianity. The only place you find that is Jesus. As he points everything to himself and he says, all of this is for you. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the love and the grace that you pour out in our lives through Christ, through the presence that you continue to be in the sacrament as we come to the table. As you promise to be present, Jesus, in flesh and blood under the bread and the wine, and as you gather your church, your community together, all those who are, are baptized and in your name and live as your family. We pray, Father, that you would continually keep our eyes focused on Christ, knowing that it's only through him and by your grace that you have given him to us as a gift. Thank you for the life and the redemption that you hand over. In Jesus' name, amen.